This is the ZMAR Podcast. Elite Benefits of America helps small and mid-sized companies with their health insurance programs. And now, your host, Butch ZMAR. Summer vacations are fun, and especially while the kids are young, you're trying to get them experience, get a move in. But in some cases, uh, it's not always fun. And I want to share a personal story that actually just happened a week ago. I was actually quasi-camping with the family. I say quasi because uh, I'm not really a tent guy unless there's some other adventure involved. And so we were in the local cabin while the rest of the family was uh, camping in their tents. Uh, My oldest kid uh, actually had a small little pop-up tent, and he, he stayed in the tent, but the rest of us were in the cabin. It was fun. You know, the kids got to swim and and fish and do all kinds of crazy stuff on campground that most kids do. And uh, obviously the campfires and the stories, you know, they were surrounded by a couple uh, family members and their families. And so it was good gathering. Time flies. Nobody knows what time it is throughout the entire day, except for a little me, uh, because I had a you know, put in the work time, make sure things were moving, make sure people got responded. Obviously, some some people are looking to change their coverage mid-year or just start reviewing it. So some things are always in the hopper. Obviously, time just flies. But this time, we end up going to the ER because my oldest kid, the one that was actually on this podcast, actually burned his hand with bacon grease. Being the smarter consumer that uh, I am when it comes to healthcare because of what I do, I was actually going to run over to the local fire department just to have them maybe if they had some um, ointment or something and wrap it up but it's rural wisconsin so um, the volunteer fire department really didn't have that kind of capacity based on what i was told so they said hey go to urgent care which was 45 minutes away and so we jumped in a car and started heading 45 minutes away and we're 10 minutes in the ride and the pain from the burn just escalated on them and I'm sure anxiety had something to do with it. So things just started going haywire. And then coincidentally, the hospital's closer. They were 20 minutes away versus the 45. And so in the middle of this 10-minute ride, I decided to head over to the emergency room. We were in and out. Um, They didn't do a whole lot. Not saying that in a negative way. Put him at ease. Um, They treated, they put ointment on, they gave him more medication. Um, They contacted a burn unit. Everything was fine, no follow-up, just second-degree burns on the one hand. And uh, even though this week he's back on the ice um, against our better judgment, but uh, he's moving along and being stubborn about it. But the reason I'm bringing this up because, you know, when I walked into the door, um, it actually said emergency rooms and then slash or hyphen, I forget what it was, but urgent care. And so I'm not really sure how they're going to bill it and what differences it's going to be. My guess is they're going to bill it as an emergency room visit because they can, because it's highway robbery. I did ask about pricing, and they said, we don't deal with pricing here. And so it's just part of the healthcare system. The less the consumer knows, the more power they have. It just It's just interesting how it is. Most people consider it very innocent and never really thought much about it. But it's definitely a concern when you start paying attention because nobody has answers uh, until the bill shows up. It's So it's like asking your mechanic to actually do some work on your car without actually knowing what things are going to do um, be, happen in advance. Most car mechanics, if there's work to be done, they'll kind of do some diagnostic and then they'll call you and say, 
hey, we think it's this and it's going to cost this. And in some places require you to sign off on it. And it doesn't mean that that's the end of the work. It just means, hey, this is what's expected and this is the estimated cost. In healthcare, you can't get that from anybody. And that's a problem, uh, in my opinion. And nobody seems to be fighting it other than some naysayers such as myself. But anyhow, we'll see where it goes. It was a pleasant visit. They were super nice, so I have no complaints about the staff. One uh, side note on it is that just be careful. All of us listening to this podcast uh, are familiar with urgent care. Just be aware of urgent aid. Um, Some of these facilities try to modify names, but they really don't change anything. So we had an experience Several years ago, it was I mean, uh, it was on my uh, third kid, and he is going to be eight, and I think he was around two at the time. He cut the bottom of his foot at about 11 o'clock at night because he should have been in bed, but he's bouncing off the mattresses. So the only place we could find, because we never experienced um, a middle-of-the-night situation, we went to a place that I thought was urgent care, and I pull in, and it says urgent aid, and I'm like, well, that's interesting. It's a different name. So I show up and they actually had a disclaimer that you had to sign off on that even though the sign actually says urgent aid, there's no there's no urgent care facility. It's considered as an emergency room. So all billing was going to be billed as an emergency room, even though the sign outside was urgent aid. And uh, in fact, I argue with the lady and said um, it's misleading. And she said, well, that's just the way it is. So I, I said, hold on, let me look this up. So I go to Google or fancy search engine and I type in urgent aid and it actually said refer to urgent care. And so obviously they're playing with the words just for claim experience. So people think it's urgent care. They go in, they can bill more for it. Very misleading. The one in Wisconsin where we're at did not do that, but I just wanted to add that just to be a little bit wiser when things occur in your family and have to go to emergency room or urgent care center. Another thing that was interesting while we were there on the visit, and I'm just pointing out because people go through this and maybe they're not familiar with the process, but they started asking me for employer information. I actually asked them, why do you need employer information? They said, well, that's where you get your insurance. I said, it shouldn't matter. And they said, well, but I'm required to fill this in. And I think that's interesting. And I even asked her, I said, why does the hospital system really need the employer information? And her response is, I don't know. They just asked me to collect the information. And so it's not needed for any claim information, but it's interesting that that they start collecting more data. They even asked some other questions about, I want to say schooling. Uh, It was really brief, but one of them was religious info, which uh, they don't need for any claim or billing purposes. Uh, Obviously, they filled in billing information for the insurance. But uh, anyhow, I just thought it was interesting, and I wanted to make sure and point out that none of that information is relevant, only the information on your card and then maybe your ID card, uh, like your driver's license or state ID, that's it. Um, There's nothing else that's gonna be required at that moment, maybe a signature signing off saying that this information is uh, accurate to your best knowledge, Uh, but that's it. And so I'm not an attorney, I can't give legal advice, but there's for claim processing that is not needed. Um, But this was definitely a first experience for me away from home. One thing I want to point out, um, and I talk about this one not only with employers of the companies we work with, but some of their employees, is that the biggest distinction about what to do with kids and ER visits. Uh, most of the time, parents are, as soon as something happens to their kid, they're like, okay, we got to go to the ER. You have to 
slow down and think through the process. It's tough because if your kid's in pain, it's tough to make the decision, what exactly do we need to do? Because uh, if your kid's in pain, the first thing you think of is the ER. In most cases, you don't need to go to the ER. Like for this burn, coincidentally, I don't think we needed to go to the ER. The only reason I went that way is because they were the closest um, and it was attached to a hospital in case it was worse because it was pretty bad. It's all over his hand versus one or two spots. Uh, It was a little bit of a concern, but it's tough in other situations where uh, your kid's playing sports, they're playing on the driveway, um, does, tries to does, uh, do an ollie off of a skateboard, lands on it wrong. He's crying like he's broke his foot or his ankle, and it's probably the worst you've ever heard it. And then you run to the emergency room, and you only find out that it's a sprain. It can be an issue. Uh, in some cases, there's not so much anymore with the Affordable Care Act, but there's some old policies out there that would not pay for an emergency room unless it was actually a life-threatening emergency and a sprain is not a life-threatening emergency. The same goes with out-of-network claims, uh, since, especially since the Affordable Care Act, uh, because a lot of the plans are state-driven uh, versus national, um, and it was easier to buy up the national. That's why most people never realized they were getting national plans. But since the Affordable Care Act and pricing skyrocketing, insurance companies have incentive to actually pay claims, they, they segmented the marketplace as far as out-of-network claims and in-network and then where in-network really is. And so when you're out of state, so like we were in Wisconsin, now our plan's fine, but other uh, like clients of ours would not be where if it's not a life-threatening emergency, it would have been considered out-of-network. And it's tough because um, you have to be careful on where those out-of-networks And when your kid's screaming in pain, you have to make an educated decision. Again, we're using logic versus emotion. Emotion drives us to um, just run to the emergency room because we think that's the best fitting. A lot of times you can get immediate uh, access to care faster um, in an urgent care versus the ER. I've been in the ER where we waited three, four hours or even longer. But I've been in urgent care where um, I've waited 45 minutes. and so even when we went to this emergency room, urgent care center, we were treated within three minutes. It could be just because it was rural Wisconsin, but just some things to point out there. When, you, when your kids are having this pain, sometimes it's just difficult. So you have to fight through the emotions and figure out what's the m- most logical sense because it could really cost you more. So an urgent care visit may cost you under $1,000, depending on what was done. Whereas if you went to the actual emergency room, it could cost you up to $3,000 and receive the exact same treatment, depending on what it is. Sometimes with kids, from a psychological level, by just having a medical professional a professional evaluate their current needs puts them at ease versus a parent. Just be aware of that it's not worth $3,000 just to try to hurry up and try to get a um, treatment for the kid where it may have been may have been just overkilling you it's going to cost you money because most plans these days especially since the affordable cure act have deductibles for the emergency room even though when you look at the plan summaries there may be a copay attached to the emergency room benefit most cases it's a copay at the time of visit and the balance is applied to your deductible that's why some people will feel when they go to the emergency room and they pay their $100, $200 copay, whatever it might be, all of a sudden they're getting bills from the emergency room and obviously you're pulling your hair out because you don't understand it. 
but it's probably being subject to your deductible at that point um, because that's the way most plans are. The insurance company is trying to give you a financial disincentive to go to the emergency room because it's very expensive even for them. Even on richer benefit plans, it's costing the insurance company a lot more money, even though today most people have higher deductibles. So the copays from the emergency room are rare for small and mid-sized companies. Some of the large companies will actually put it in there as a perk for working for that company. Not always. Some of the models are changing. They want to give you a financial um, disincentive because the copay gives you a financial incentive to actually use it. I know people that say, well, they'll just wait until the last second and then they'll just go to the ER because it costs them $50 for a copay. That way they don't have to schedule a doctor's visit and take time out of their own uh, day. So you just have to just use more logic when it comes into some of these claims, and especially when your kid's in pain. I'm not saying one answer is right versus another. Uh, I'm just saying take a quick step back out of the situation and take a look and, and use more logic versus the emotion. If you own a business, Elite Benefits of America wants to remind you that health insurance open enrollments are either happening now or coming very quickly. And this is the time to review and implement a health care plan to make or keep you as the employer of choice. Deadlines for open enrollment range between November 1st and January 1st. Get ahead of the curve. The Small Business Special Enrollment Period, part of the Affordable Care Act, now allows employers with 49 employees and under to offer health benefits without contributing a dime to the employee plan. Help your employees save money on taxes with health insurance they're already paying for with their hard-earned dollars. Butch Zemar from Elite Benefits of America wants you to reach out to him today. Visit EliteBenefits.net or call 708-535-3006. Mid-year reviews are are definitely going on. Tippets to take back. Uh, I understand some of it could be a little bit earlier for you. I know some of the calls that we're having with our existing clients, they're always in shock this time of the year. They're like, what do you mean we're reviewing the uh, renewal even though we don't have it yet? And so it's just about future planning, expectations, what we're seeing now for increases, what we're seeing for employer changes, what are you know technology or compliance things. And so it's just a high-level overview. You need to start having this. A lot of employers, especially the smaller companies, um, at least in Chicago, the renewal date is January 1st for most companies. And so they're in December doing all this. And I'm telling you that from experience, it doesn't do anybody a bit of good by waiting until December to take care of all this. Uh, maybe you're too busy uh, or claim you're too busy to do do this right at this current moment or you just don't have the time. Whatever, whatever excuse you want to make, I don't care. I'm just saying that it doesn't help the broker in a professional manner, doesn't help you and your employees and any type of professional environment. You need to have this locked and loaded. If you could do this by October, even better. November would be good too. By the time you get to December, open enrollments are almost buttoning up at that point, and uh, insurance cards are getting in the employees' hands for January 1. So you just have to reset your timelines because um, it'll make everybody's life a little bit easier. And um, 
you're asking too much by waiting and asking asking people to scramble. So here are some points that I want to go through uh, that you should be reviewing. The first one is definitely technology. The reason I bring this up first is because some small employers can't get to anything else. Technology will streamline. We have employers that are like, can you just send us the PDF? I'm like, no, I'm not doing that because uh, you guys miss things on the application. You don't fill it out correctly. So I could either email you a standard document PDF, but they won't allow you to proceed through the PDF unless you fill out everything that's required or more. So we just moved the entire company uh, to an online platform to make it so much easier. It's a little bit of a pain to set it up, but after it's set up, it's golden. I tell you, it's time savings and couple keyword searches and you're right there where you need to be versus trying to figure out where where'd you put that benefits guide that's a pdf inside the hard drive of the server and what if somebody moved there or changed the name uh, or some other capacity or maybe somebody moved it to a different folder because they thought they were doing one thing and there's so many things that could go wrong there so technology is definitely key Payroll, for sure. Uh, there's a lot of companies out there still trying to do in-house payroll. I'm telling you, you got to get that to a different platform. Ones that eventually help you sync up with other platforms for benefit administration because that's the avenue most companies are trying to take it. Uh, there are some companies that don't want to offer it at all and they don't even care. And that's fine too. But uh, maybe it's not a good fit for some of the yeah, insurance agencies out there either. But I'm just telling you, it makes the life a lot easier when you start streamlining payroll and benefit administration and technology compliance. It just makes it a lot easier. The next thing is cost containment. This is the number one pain that people or businesses and companies have across the country is cost containment and because premiums are just going through the roof. The problem is a lot of companies can take advantage of this and they're either one too shy or too nervous about making changes. They rather just keep it going. It, it reminds me of the analogy where uh, the dog's on the front porch and he's howling, howling, howling like he's in pain. And you, you go out on the front porch to find out what's going on. You don't see anything. And you finally figure it out when the dog laid down, he laid down on a nail and uh, went in him. And so he's howling for the pain, but he's not moving. Another analogy is you have a canker sore on your, on your lip and you know it hurts, but you still keep sticking your tongue on it. And so it's almost like the same thing. Some employers keep sticking their tongue on this um, this sore on their lip. They, they know they need to do something different, but they keep doing it because it causes them pain. They, they don't know why they're doing it. It's the same thing when it comes to employee benefits programs when costs start going through the roof where they just, they'd rather just lay over and just keep taking it and the increases and in the cost because that's all they know and it's comfortable and and they they can't step out of their comfort zone um, to start saving money and moving in the right direction and so most companies could take advantage of it some cannot there's underwriting issues maybe logistics there's some other reasons that they don't qualify because you, if you get a company under 10 employees and you have one person that's taking a very expensive medication or some other major expense, it could throw the whole group out of whack. So uh, cost containment, but there's so many different strategies to control this without just raising deductible, raising co-pays, eliminating co-pays, moving carriers. There's a lot more cost containment strategies you could put into. Maybe you're not being exposed to some of those, but you should definitely review those with your current broker. Give our office a call.
Another one is employee incentives. So in my reference to employee incentives is not necessarily wellness programs, even though that is part of it. But the biggest part is help your employees make better decisions for healthcare. Traditionally, we're taught that we could just take our health insurance card and go anywhere we want because that's what we choose. We're in power. Well, the problem is there's a cost to it because if you go to anything else in your personal life, um, you're not just going to go do things because that's what you want to do. There's going to be a cost measure in place. If you knew how much it was going to cost to go to the biggest hospital, let's say in Chicago, for a set of stitches, if you actually had to pay 100% of the bill with no insurance, you will be more economical and try to figure out, all right, who's qualified to do stitches and where can I go? You're not going to pay Northwestern University premium price um, that Advocate Health Centers could do. And so it's just something that we have to educate the employee base on to make better outcomes. The other one is the emergency room versus urgent care. Try to immediate care too, uh, instead of going to the ER. The other thing is uh, if you design the plans right with the cost containment strategy, you could give the employees financial incentive to go to a certain facility or network of hospital facilities um, and have lower or zero out of pocket. There's ways to do it. You have to Uh, look at those to provide them incentives so they could reduce the expense coming off the health plan. And so that's key, um, along with uh, using teledoc instead of going to the doctor, plus you're not scheduled, employees are not leaving their workplace in order to go to the doctor because a lot of doctors uh, visit most of their patients during the workday. Now you could do it by a phone call and it could be in the middle of the day and you could provide that as an employee benefit that you could schedule doctor's appointments throughout the day when it's a uh, tele, like over the phone or video, you can give them a private place to do that inside the workplace. Um, that's definitely an employee perk. And then they're out for an hour versus a whole day. And so you pick your poison, but uh, it might boost morale at the same time. So there's a lot of things that you could go through and give them incentives to make sure they have better outcomes. And obviously maybe uh, other wellness things to help with that too, that uh, result of less claims, such as uh, no smoking policy, but make it a fun game or how many steps employees could go uh, and have a contest over it. There, there's so much more that you could do inside the, um, the workplace to help provide incentives. The other area is compliance. This is the hidden thing uh, behind closed walls. Sometimes in older homes, there's things creeping behind the wall and people are afraid to actually pull it apart. But the problem is is you could go on for years or generations and never open up that wall to see what the problem is. That's the same way as compliance, is you could go multiple generations and be out of compliance with your company and never even know it because you never pulled the panel off the wall. And so... By diving into it, you could at least assure it and to avoid the penalties in case it's you that ends up happening. Um, so uh, you don't want accidents to occur um, in general, not not physically, and find out that there's a problem. So the first one, especially with small and mid-sized companies, they're missing the 125 cafeteria document. That is important. Most co- payroll companies take care of this for you, and they charge some charge premium dollars for it. Um, so be careful on pricing. You may want to shop around. But um, it does determine on the number of employees that you have. But it's definitely a document because the document is there to basically give you a pass that allows you to do pre-tax deductions out of the paycheck. And so it doesn't go anywhere. It's a document that gets updated yearly. So you'll have to pay the fee annually. But it allows you uh, to 
payroll deduct the any premiums that are fringe benefits that are allowed by the IRS. And you could allow your employees not to pay income tax on that portion of it. And then you still get a write-off for what you're paying for in the premiums. And so you just have to be careful with this. You need it in place. It doesn't go to the IRS. You sign off on it every year. It goes into the file. And that way, in case you ever get audited, because the problem is, is if you get audited, you don't have this document up to date, then you're going to have to pay the missing payroll taxes um, out of the portion that you were charging your employees. And then there'll be... Uh, penalties on top of that. So that's definitely key. Another one that's way overlooked, even by brokers, is called the ERISA wrap document. I mean, it's dumb uh, if you ask me, but it's basically this boilerplate document that basically says, okay, I am ABC company and here's my fringe benefits. I offer medical, dental, HSA, uh, FSA, whatever it might be. You have to spell it out and there's this boilerplate document and then you pay a fee for it and it has to be done annually. It's basically saying, hey, these are the plans that we're authorizing to be part of a benefit program and it's got to be documented. And so it's definitely overlooked. It's pricey. So a lot of small businesses don't want to pay for it. Um, But the problem is you come in, there's fines per day that you didn't have it. Uh, and they'll go all the way back to when you started the group health insurance plan. We've met employers, as many as several hundred, if not thousands of employees, the document wasn't either up to date or ever had one. There's also the 5,500 reporting when you're over 100 employees enrolled. And so, and you also need the 5,500 for other reasons like the 401k uh, program and whatnot, but a lot of times that has to be updated and filed every year. Um, that's a compliance issue. And then you also have HR compliance. And so that's a whole nother topic. We're going to try to bring some more HR professionals on. We do limited HR. Uh, when I say limited, it's definitely limited to a capacity. We do a lot more than we probably should with, uh, and then we bring in HR compliant or HR certified people, part of our, our network. So for the mid-year review, it may be a little early, but you know what I tell you? You're going to get a lot of things off your plate right now if you do it within the next 30 to 45 days, and you could be ready. We're, we don't have January 1st rates. We don't even have December 1st rates, but there's a lot of the process that you could start out right now and start moving towards it. You could move to a benefit administration system, the technology platform, off-cycle. It'll make it so much easier for your employees. Sometimes there's a fee for this. I think that's fine. Uh, if you went to your payroll company, they could do that too. Uh, and they're going to charge a fee. The broker may charge a fee. The broker may not charge a fee. It just depends on a lot of uh, the work that's going into it. There's absolutely no reason to have to wait to the renewal. You, everybody is usually in the rush during the end of the year. There's holidays. There's your end of the year push for your own company. And then it's just way too much for a lot of people. So you might as well just get it done early. Your company can uh, change plans at any time or our insurance companies. It doesn't have to be January 1st. You do get credit for expenses that were contributed to the first plan moving to the next one as long as it's the same tax ID number of the company and the same payroll. And so you could get things transferred and employees are not, you know, restarting their deductible and whatnot. And so it's a very easy switch at that point, especially if it's going to be in your favor. We've done that. We just did... A company now we switched um they have a january 1st renewal we're switched uh, they're in the open enrollment for an august 1st we're making this move they're saving roughly 18 percent, i believe it was 18 percent. the guy the owner was like let's jump right now i want to save my money right now and so um there's no re- there's no hard feelings on that so um and you're saving money and, and employees are actually in a better position than versus worse off 
you could change your broker at any time. Commercial insurance, a lot of times the broker cannot be changed until the anniversary date of the policy. Changing mid-year on a commercial policy could be um, costly, uh, depending on uh, the program that you're in and uh, the insurance product. But, but otherwise, in the medical benefits, you could switch your broker at any time. So if your broker is MIA, there's a lot of cases where they don't have a broker. They've been dealing with this insurance direct or whatever the case might be. They just don't have an agent. Um, it doesn't cost you anything to appoint an agent. And then they're compensated by the insurance company in, in most cases, but definitely something to look at. Maybe you're not sure if your current guy is doing a good job. You may want a second opinion could be key and at least keep the current guy in check or at least validate that they're doing a good job. And uh, maybe at some point uh, they're not and you, you want to switch and maybe not too. You have some loyalty with a current company or a current agent and you bring this information back and you're in a better position. Consultant fees. The reason I bring this up because of our last topic that we just talked about where possibly changing brokers or even just getting a second opinion. So some brokers out there will actually charge a fee for a proposal for a second opinion. I'm bringing this up because I don't want you to be shocked by it. It has become more and more common. You also have to take in consideration the work that needs to go involved. Ensure traditionally we're trying to win the business. However, if you look at company commission models, um, meaning insurance company commission models, from even 150 employees and under, so which is vast majority of businesses across the country, um, the commission models doesn't pay enough actually for the consultation. It pays us enough, barely, um, in so, some cases not enough, but, but in most cases it pays us enough to service the count throughout the year but it does not pay for the expertise of the uh, insurance broker, the intellectual knowledge. Just like if you went to a CPA and you said, hey, I need you to evaluate this. Um, and maybe in some cases they'll do a pro bono, um, but a lot of times they'll actually charge a fee for their time. And that way you could take that information and take it back to your current guy or person and have it evaluated by them. And you pay for it. you, you own the material that they gave you for the proposal that you could do whatever you want with it. Traditionally, we're paid by the insurance company. But like I said, it's usually not enough for the consultation anymore. Uh, we usually allow it to be, um, but it's turning that point where we're losing money. And so, um, so so just don't be surprised about the consultant fee, especially if it's for a proposal. Some of the brokers are taking that and charging a fee, and I'm making this up, but let's say it's $5,000. And if you decide, you know what, I'm gonna hire you as my broker, and we're gonna switch you all the accounts over to you, they may refund that $5,000 for winning the account. Uh, they're just trying to protect their time uh, putting together a pr uh, proposal. And if you choose not to come back to them, they got paid for the time that's there. And so, um, again, the reason I'm bringing this up, it's become more common. Uh, we're, we're doing some of that in-house as well. So some people that come to us, we're charging fees for certain things. Some brokers are also doing away with the commissions. So if you want them to service the account. So, for example, you're a small business in Chicago, 50 employees. Uh, you come to us, and this is hypothetical for right now, but there's some brokers out there doing this where you come to them and say, hey, I want you to compare these plans and give us an outline of where we should be. And so they charge a fee, and let's just say it's, I'm making this up, but $5,000 just because that was the number I brought up before. They charge you a fee, um, and then you say, okay, I want to you know, use you. Well, they may not 
take commissions anymore. They might have dissolved their contracts and now they charge a fee. If you want them the service, they're going to charge you uh, an employee per employee or just the service fee throughout the year. It could be a monthly stipend. It could be an annual thing. And there's so many different ways that brokers do it. And then you have to pay them the service that count. Otherwise, you have to do it internally. Sure, you could find another broker, uh, but you're going to find that this is going to become a more and more common practice that we're going to be more consultants than commission-based. And so, I'm again, the reason I'm bringing it up, it, it's still brand new uh, in the industry in the last at least 10 years, but it, it, it's starting to turn the corner where you're going to start seeing brokers come in and you ask for a proposal or ask them the service account and they're 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 going to tell you I, we have a scope of work agreement that we have to sign and then you owe them fees directly versus the insurance companies because a lot of times if we showed we're supposed to disclose the commissions now but no, most people are not reading it but if you actually dove into how much you're actually getting paid on some of these you you would probably feel bad for the amount of time that you milk out of these brokers you really would and in some cases even with a 10 employee group we're only we're getting paid about three thousand dollars but that includes our proposal, the renewal, uh, full-blown open enrollments, collecting all the paperwork, and then we only get paid on um, what's there, right? And so if out of 10 employees, there may be three enrolled. We're only getting paid on three on a traditional model. If you multiply that by 10, you have 100 employees. And even if you get 50 enrolled, we might get paid, and I'm making this number up, might be $15,000 a year. But, but on top of that, we're consultant with you on a regular basis we're we're providing you technology services that maybe you didn't have access to before maybe some limited hr services you didn't have before you have uh, somebody's cell phone in most cases to say hey i have an employee that's having a problem um you have any you know advice not that we give 100 percent of the advice uh, and there's hipaa regulations and personal health information but we could certainly give some guidance from our experience that's what you're getting. You're getting the concierge side of things and the expert knowledge uh, that takes these brokers years to develop. It, this is not a fly by night, three year thing, and then they're experts. There's no way it takes a whole career. I'm not. I wouldn't consider myself an expert, um, even though some would say that to me. But I would consider myself a specialist because the thing just keeps moving. It's just the ball that keeps moving around the court. I. I it's hard to keep track of it at times. Uh, but certainly we, we keep engaging it and making sure it works. But So just don't be surprised by any of this. Make sure you schedule for your mid-year review with your current broker and uh, call our office if you need a second opinion or you would like us to do it. Uh, it could start saving you money now here halfway through 2022.